0: Now let's move this science show further afield, say cosmically, to look at SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, as we're falling short in some parts of the Earth right now. This is Jean-Luc Margot at the University of California, Los Angeles, who's first of all got some news about Venus, our neighbor nearer the Sun. So we've been able to measure the moment of inertia
1: of Venus, which is an indication of the distribution of mass inside the body. It's the first time this measurement's been made, and we were able to do that using ground-based planetary radars. We transmit a monochromatic wave, a single frequency wave towards Venus, and then we record the echoes at two large radio telescopes that are separated by 2,000 miles. And what happens is that the echo that's reflected from Venus, sort of like a disco ball, and as Venus spins, that pattern of speckles sweeps over the Earth, And we record these two echoes at these two large radio telescopes. And then we can time how long it takes for the speckles to travel between one telescope to the other. And that tells us about
0: the spin state of Venus. That is amazing. It really is. And any surprises when you find out what's inside Venus? Well, at the moment, the uncertainties are still
1: somewhat too large to place really meaningful constraints on the interior. There are about 7% fractional uncertainties, but we're going to continue our measurements and we're going to drive down those uncertainties to the point that we can actually place real constraints on the interior of the
0: planet. Would you imagine it's more or less like Earth with, you know, a hard core? Well, actually the Earth's core has been changed by recent research, hasn't it? Uh, But, uh, you know, we've got the mantle and we've got various layers inside. Would you expect Venus to be the same? Venus is likely to be similar to Earth. One of the big unknowns about Venus is we still
1: don't know if the core is liquid or solid. The models can actually accommodate both. So that's going to be one of the investigations of these future missions to Venus, like the Envision and the Veritas missions.
0: And with the magnetic signal, would you be able to pick that up and get some idea of the magnetism that's in the surroundings of Venus as to what's inside?
1: Well, there's been no magnetic field detected at Venus, so that is a clue, but it's not definitive in terms of evidence about what the core is doing. It turns out that you could have a molten core and no magnetic field, so we still don't know. The best way to assess whether the core is liquid or solid is actually to measure the tidal signal, how the planet changes with the tides as it revolves around the sun. And that will indicate whether the core is liquid or solid. Were you at Cornell? I was a graduate student at Cornell, and I was also on the faculty at Cornell. Did you come across Carl Sagan? I did, when I was a graduate student. I was there for a couple of years before he unfortunately passed away. How did you get on? Carl was a very inspiring figure. He was very eloquent, very charismatic, Uh, so it was always fun to listen to him.
0: And also quite political, it turns out, in many respects to be right, because the work he did on Venus (laughs) and CO2 and saying, but for the grace of, who knows, (laughs) common sense, there we go too, because it's unlivable on the surface of Venus. But nonetheless, looking further out in space, you are looking for signals of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, the signal of what might be alien technology? How can you tell theirs from ours? Well, let me tell you a little
1: bit more about our search. We use the largest fully steerable telescope on the planet, the Green Bank Telescope, to observe stars and planetary systems. And we collect terabytes of data, bring it back to UCLA, and then we analyze the data and look for narrow band radio signals. So these are signals that occupy a very narrow range in frequencies. So they're quite distinctive. There's nothing like what nature can produce. Now, of course, human technology produces lots of those. So how do we distinguish between the two? The primary test that we use is to find out whether the signal is detected in more than one direction on the sky. So if you imagine an extraterrestrial source, a distant source, that signal is going to come from only one direction on the sky. However, terrestrial technology is typically detected in multiple directions on the sky. How long have you been looking? We've been doing this since 2016, and we actually teach a, an annual SETI course in which the students in the course design an observing program, collect data with the telescope, and then write code to analyze the data, and we then publish the results. So you're crowdsourcing for E.T.? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And on top of the students, we've now launched a citizen science platform called arewealone.earth. And there we have about 9,000 volunteers so far who are looking at the signals and classifying them and trying to identify the most interesting signals. They've done more than 200,000 classifications so far.
0: How do you sort them out? You know, you're know, you on the receiving end of
1: all this stuff. Well, what we show on the platform is an image of a radio signal. It shows the, the structure of the signal in the time and frequency domain. And anybody can look at these images and classify them. We have a simple tutorial, and then there's a few questions that citizen scientists answer about each signal. Is the structure vertical or is it horizontal? Is it regular or not irregular? And they perform a classification tasks that way identifying not only the most interesting signals, but at the same time building what we call the training set for an artificial intelligence application that we will train with these data to then automatically identify signals of human technology and extract them from the data.
0: Reminds me slightly of Galaxy Zoo, which is based in Oxford, where similarly, there's a crowdsourcing sorting of different shapes and signals. Yes, it's based on the same platform, it's called the Zooniverse.
1: It's very nicely done and we've had great luck with that platform.
0: Now, just to sort the signal, if it's coming from a long way away, which it must, obviously, presumably outside our solar system, so you're looking at something that is light years away and has been traveling a long, long time, this explains why it's just coming from one place because it can't be scattered all over the place if it's coming from such a distant source. Have you had any false positives, something, you know, (laughs) this morning perhaps? Well, we've had several
1: signals that got us very excited, but it doesn't last very long, unfortunately, because we immediately try to confirm whether the signal is genuinely from an extraterrestrial source. And every single time so far, the signal has been shown to be human technology.
0: And what would you infer that if you do get one, it's coming from some source zillions of years ago and from a major civilization because they have to be able to send such a thing and they would know that it has to be decipherable so that it can be recognized. Is that the sort of pattern you're looking for? Sure. Actually, it doesn't take much to communicate
1: across the civilization. So if you take, for instance, our own human technology, which is fairly primitive compared to possibly much more advanced civilizations, we used to have this telescope called the Arecibo Telescope, and it had a one-megawatt radar system. It turns out we can detect that signal 500 light-years away. And it doesn't take much to actually be able to detect a signal throughout the entire galaxy. So if you're capable of transmitting a signal maybe a 1,000 times more powerful than the Arecibo planetary radar signal. That signal can travel through the entire galaxy and be detected with our telescopes today.
0: Well, good luck with your search, and before we finish this conversation, should we pay a tribute to Frank Drake, whose equation told us the likelihood of there being a civilization, the Drake equation, and he died quite recently. That's right. Frank
1: was a SETI pioneer. He was also, by happenstance, my academic grandfather. He left a, a great legacy to the field, and we're continuing the search in his,
0: in his honour. Jean-Luc Margot at the University of California, Los Angeles, with a fond farewell to Frank Drake, who pioneered the likelihood of SETI somewhere. No doubt those vast numbers accumulated via citizen science will be sorted by AI as well as is so much other data from astronomical research.